Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Father, I thank you so much for just the, the, the great privilege of gathering here right now as a body of believers in Christ. Father, we, we thank you for that because we have fellowship, because we have encouragement gathering, in, gathering together. And Father, we thank you for that because we have life, eternal life, not just now and fullness of life, but also in the future. We have the great hope and promise of spending an eternity with you. And uh, we just thank you so much for how you provide for us, for how you sustain, for, sustain us, and how you are even right here with us now. So Father, because of that, we have great anticipation. And we pray that your spirit would be our teacher today, all of us, me included, that we would see your word come alive and that we would believe it, that you would give us the faith to embrace it. And Father, I pray that you would protect me from saying anything today that you wouldn't want said. But Father, if I do say something you wouldn't want said, I pray that we all would just quickly forget it. But Father, the words that, we, that I say today that are your words, I pray that your spirit would help us to remember them and believe them and apply them. We might be shaped more into the image of your son. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have got a cell phone on you, uh, I'm going to ask you to take it out right now. you got a cell phone in your pocket or in your purse, go ahead and get it out. Uh, this is not a, we're going to pass them to the end of the aisle and collect them. Uh, this is not trade them with your neighbor who has a fancier device than is in your pocket. This is just get out your own cell phone and put it in your pocket. And then when you got it in your pocket, then, you got it in your hand, then, then pick it up and kind of wave it at me so I can see it. Uh, lots of cell phones around the room, right? Now here's what I want you to do. Turn it off. Just power it off. Believe it or not, there is a power button on it. Go ahead and, and hit that. Uh, sometimes you have to hold it down until it beeps. But, but go ahead and turn off your phone right now. Now, you might be thinking that I'm doing this because I don't want interruptions during the sermon or it's like the start of the movie where they ask you to turn your cell phones off. It's not that at all. I just want you to turn your cell phones off. And now that your cell phones are off, and in this room right now, we have no cell phones that are on. If you have that cell phone, if you still have it, hold it up so I can see it again. Now, I want you to put it to your ear and have a conversation. Just start talking to somebody. You pick the person. Just, just have, have a little conversation. Hi, Mom. How are things? Good, good, good. All right. Hey, that's great. How many of you felt a little silly having a conversation with a cell phone that's turned off? Um, I did, and I'm on microphone, so it's much more embarrassing for me than it is for you. But it is, it's a little difficult to have a conversation when the cell phone's off. Why is it tough to have a conversation when the phone's off? Because the whole point in the phone is so you connect with somebody on the other end, right? You have a cell phone so that you can connect with a friend or, or someone that you need to get in touch with and you can exchange information, you can ask questions, you can have some time of fellowship together, whatever that is. That's why you have the device. That's why we carry it around in our pockets. That's why we pick it, out and check, pick, pick it up and check it way too frequently, Right? Because we're hopeful of gaining real human contact on the other end. And if our phone was always turned off, it's my guess that, that eventually we would stop carrying them. 
If AT&T and Sprint and T-Mobile and Verizon, if they all just went out of business and, and there were no more cell phone coverage, we would eventually stop carrying these. I mean, they look pretty, they're stylish, they're status symbols, but they're worthless apart from their ability to connect you to somebody on the other end. And the reason why I share that with us today is that we're, we're launching into a two-week series uh, on prayer. In this series on prayer, we're going to look at two parables that Jesus taught on prayer, but we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to talk about prayer under the banner of a phrase that we're very familiar with cell phones, and that is, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And you know, the thing is, we, we use the phone because we think that we can be heard on the other end by someone. And the issue, I think, with prayer many times with us is that we feel like prayer is a phone that is turned off. We feel like prayer is a phone without any bars. We feel like prayer is like a phone with no number to dial. Because many times when we pray, we feel like no one is picking up on the other end. And because of that, over time, we begin to slow our prayer life. And sometimes it even grinds to a halt because we just are not certain if anybody is hearing us now on the other end. You know, this is not a new problem. This is not something that is new or unique to us as 21st century Americans. This is a situation that has existed with mankind throughout time. And that's why Jesus, when he taught on the subject of prayer, told some parables, some stories to help his people understand, to help you and I understand that God is listening when we pray. So that should encourage us to continue to maintain contact. And we're going to begin that today by, by looking at Can You Hear Me Now? Part 1 when we're going to look at a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 5 to 13. So that's what we're going to look at today. So if you've got a Bible, uh, take it out and open to the book of Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. We're going to see two things today from these verses. Uh, first of all, let's, let's just read it. And then we'll, we'll go back and look at it a little more in depth. Uh, this is what it says, beginning in verse 5. Then he, being Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? 
If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so in these verses, these eight verses, Jesus gives a couple of stories or a parable and an illustration to help you and I understand something about the nature of prayer. Now, it's important to note, first of all, just the context of this quickly. Uh, Jesus tells these stories immediately after instructing the disciples on how to pray. See, Jesus was praying frequently. Uh, Seven times during the book of Luke, Jesus is mentioned as going off and praying. The disciples saw this regular practice of Jesus praying. And so they asked Jesus, they said, hey, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus teaches them what we know as the Lord's Prayer in the first part of chapter 11. But after Jesus gives them a sample prayer, Jesus then begins to give them an illustration or a story to give them some motivation about why they should pray. And that's the story that we see unfold for us in uh, Luke eleven five to 13. And I said we're going to see two things out of these verses. The first thing that we're going to see out of these verses is simple. It's just ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. And we see that from the first few verses, verses 5 to 10, uh, there in chapter 11. Uh, but, but Jesus tells this story where he's encouraging us to ask, seek, and knock. Well, where does that come from? Well, Jesus tells a story about two men who are neighbors. Uh, we'll call them Fred and Sam, okay? And, and let's say that, that Fred has a friend who comes to him very late at night, unannounced. He's got a friend from out of town. Everybody's got that crazy college roommate, right? He just shows up in the middle of the night. That's Fred. Fred's crazy college roommate shows up in the middle of the night, and and it's midnight, and he shows up and he says, hey, I want to stay at your place tonight. And, And so Fred, because he's not aware that his friend is coming, is placed in an awkward position. Because in 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 Near East culture, it was expected of a, a person to be hospitable, to be welcoming someone into their home. And so if somebody shows up in the middle of the night, you're supposed to welcome them into your home. You're supposed to allow them to sleep under your roof, and you're supposed to be able to give them something to eat. But because Fred didn't know his crazy college roommate was coming over, he didn't have anything to offer his friend to eat. And this is compounded by the fact that in an ancient uh, culture like this, there's not a 24-hour 7-Eleven. I mean, the food that they had would have been the food that they would have made the previous day. And, and Fred's family had exhausted the cupboard. There was no food made. I mean, there, there, was, there was enough stuff to maybe bake some bread for the next day, but certainly not to get ready for a friend to eat it as a midnight snack. And so Fred decides that his only option is to go to his neighbor Sam's house and to see if Sam has some leftovers from the day that maybe he could offer to his friend, his crazy college roommate, to eat. So Fred gets out and he goes next door and he knocks on the gate of his friend's house, Sam. And he says, Sam, do you have three loaves of bread that you could give me so that I could serve to my friend who has come unexpected late at night? And Sam, what does Sam do? Sam says, no way, Fred. Here's the story. We live in a one-room house, and me and the kids and the dog and the cat and everybody else, we're all gathered up in this one house, and they're all sound asleep. I mean, we have a -a two-and-a-half-year-old in our house. It is very important to not open that door. You know, everybody's got that door in the house. Don't open that door because it might wake the two-and-a-half-year-old. You spent all evening getting him to bed. Don't wake him up now, right? And Sam says, I'm not getting up because I might wake up the kids. 
But then after he reflects on it a little more and Fred's still out there knocking, Sam decides, you know what, I'm going to get up and I'm going to get the bread that Fred needs. And he gets the bread and he gives it to him. But why does he give him the bread? What does it say in the passage? Verse 8, I tell you that even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, in other words, hey, the friendship card didn't get me out of bed. You know, I realize that we're neighbors, but it's midnight, and I'm sound asleep, and my family is here with me. The friend card didn't get him up. But he says, but because of his persistence. If you have an NIV, it might say because of his boldness. Uh, maybe better than either of those translations, this, this uh, word in the original language might be rendered because of his shamelessness. In other words, he was so brazen to come over and ask, and he's still out there standing there, and it's maybe the best course of action for Sam is to go ahead and get Fred the stuff, because then Fred will leave and go home, and furthermore, Sam doesn't want to be that neighbor that doesn't want to help his friend. And so he doesn't help him because he's his friend, he helps him because of the shameless ploy and ask for help, and the easiest and most expeditious way to handle the situation was to give him something and so that he would leave. Now here's what's interesting. That's the parable that Jesus tells. And, and as he's telling it, I mean, people are connecting with it. This was a common scene. The, the people who are there, they, they understand what Jesus is talking about. But here's the strange thing. As we unpack it and we say, okay, we understand maybe more the, the point of the story that Jesus is telling, but here's the problem for us. Is Jesus really comparing God to Sam? Is Jesus really comparing God to the man who does not want to get up and answer the door to give his friend three loaves of bread in the middle of the night? Is he really doing that? Well, in the Greek, we would say, no. What do you think? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Jesus is comparing Sam to God. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. Jesus is not comparing to Sam to God to say that God is that reluctant person who refuses to get up and answer the door, but does so under compulsion because he doesn't want to be shamed in his neighborhood or because of his neighbor's brazen request. He says that if a neighbor will get up just to save face and to go back to bed, how much more so Will your heavenly Father get up and be excited about answering your request? So even if neighbors will eventually answer just to get you to go away, how much more so will someone who loves you? Think of it this way. I mentioned my, my son. You know, if a neighbor comes and knocks on my door at, at 1 o'clock in the morning, I, I might want to not answer the door. Maybe out of fear, maybe out of laziness, maybe, you know, maybe we'll pretend like we're not here. You know, uh, is the car in the garage? Yes. Are the lights out? Yes. Maybe they won't know we're here. That might be part of the reaction if a neighbor comes at 1 o'clock. But you know what? If 1 o'clock in the morning, if my son comes and knocks on the door, and by the way, he hasn't figured out how to open doorknobs yet, so we're still good. But let's say he came, he figured out a way out of his room, he comes down, he knocks on the door, and he says, you know, hey, Daddy, am I not going to want to get up and to see what he needs? See, our Heavenly Father, if, if, even a, a, if even Sam will eventually answer a quest, how much more so will the God who loves us? 
Jesus began this teaching on prayer by teaching his disciples to when they pray, pray to their heavenly Father, our Father who art in heaven. You see, God is much more so. God wants to answer our request. And that's exactly what he says in verses 9 and 10. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. You know, those are, that's a very famous phrase. Ask, seek, knock. That, that's a phrase that, that you see, you probably seen that on a flip over calendar or somebody shared that verse with you before about prayer but sometimes we forget the context the context is the the part of a, a story that Jesus is telling about Fred and Sam it's, it's to encourage us that our Heavenly Father is waiting behind the gate and when we come and we, we, we knock and, and ask Him for something when we go to seek His provision when we knock and say would you open up and provide for us That he is right there to open the gate and to respond to our request. See, Jesus tells this parable to encourage us to ask, to seek, and to knock. It's a promise that Jesus gives that God will hear our request. And you know, here's the problem that we have with that. We we have really a a couple of problems. But one of the problems that we struggle with as it it pertains to that is we we have experience that seems to invalidate that. You know, Jesus said that God hears us when we pray. But how many of you have prayed and not felt like God was hearing you? How many of you have prayed and felt like, you know what, there's, there's no one on the other end of this. I feel like I've got a phone that is powered off or the battery's dead. Or there's no bars. I'm just not seem to be getting through. See, it's to us who feel like our prayers are hitting the ceiling that Jesus gives a definitive statement, a promise, a guarantee that says that our prayers are reaching his ears. When we knock at the door, he opens the gate. When we ask him, he desires to give to us. When we seek him, he provides provision. Regardless of what we feel, regardless of what our experience might be, that does not change the heart and the character of God who desires to answer and is eager to answer in response to our prayer. See, one of the problems is that we've had some experience that invalidates that. And you, you, you've had this. I, I know you have. Uh, we've had it. You know, for a number of years in our life, we've prayed for, for health issues. Or we, we, you know, before our son was born, we prayed that God would provide a, a, a child for us. And we prayed for those things not just once or twice. We prayed for years for some of those things, right? And, and, and you know, I'm, what am I, 36? 36 years old. There are people in here who are twice that age who have been praying for three times as long for something. And I think that the word that God has for us today from this passage is to encourage us that even though we have prayed for things and we feel like God is not listening, we need to know we have a guarantee from God, from Christ himself, that God hears our prayer and that it is his heart, it is his desire to answer those requests as we bring them to him. See, one of the problems we have is our experience, but Jesus contradicts our experience with his promise. And that's what is really true. God is hearing our prayer, even if we don't feel like he is sometimes. It's one of the problems. Second problem is sometimes we uh, get into this, this box where we feel like God is maybe hearing our prayer, but maybe he doesn't want to do anything about it. 
God is, hears our prayer, but he doesn't want to answer it. Because God is, is, is so unchangeable that there's no way that he would ever respond to our prayers because he's already got everything all decided. And you know what, there are a number of verses that we could look at today in Scripture that indicate the unchangeableness of God. And, and what I'm getting ready to say is not to invalidate those statements at all. God is unchangeable. He is immutable. But you know what? The same Bible that tells us that God is immutable also encourages us to pray and gives us examples of God responding to our prayers with His answers that seem to be different from what He had initially purposed even. Uh, We get a situation in Exodus chapter 32 where God says, we're going to wipe out the Israelites and start over with Moses. And Moses says, oh God, don't do that. And God says, okay. We won't. You have a situation in Isaiah chapter 38 where God says, Hezekiah, your days are done. You're going to die. And Hezekiah prays and says, oh God, give me more life. Give me 10 more years. And says, God says, okay, I'll give you 10 more years. Well, we have a case in the book of Jonah where God says the Ninevites are going to be destroyed. They repent and then God relents of the destruction of the city of Nineveh. We have situations like James chapter 4, verse 2, where it says we do not have because we do not ask. The same scripture that tells us that God is unchangeable also speaks directly to the fact that God delights in answering our prayers. See, we have some trouble with the statement, ask, seek, knock, because of our experience or because of a theological box. But but the reality is, the truth of scripture encourages us to continue to pray because God delights to hear it and God wants to respond to it. And so because of that, here's the question for us today. Here's a question for every one of us. What would you pray for today if you knew, you knew that God was going to hear it? What have you stopped praying for because you think that God doesn't hear your prayers? What have you stopped praying for because you feel like, you know, God has got a caller ID and he sees that it's you again and he just hits skip? What is it that feels like just a, a, a bread in the middle of the night issue? Just, just an a issue of common courtesy that's not big enough to take before God. But if you really, in your heart of hearts, it's, it's, it's bothering you. You want, you want to take it before God, but you don't know if he wants to hear it. What would you pray for today if you knew that God would hear it? See, what we need to remember is that our prayer line is always on. We can ask, seek, and knock because God hears our prayer and God delights to respond to it. First thing we need to see from this passage is ask, seek, and knock. But I think a second thing we need to see is this. We see that we need to believe that God gives good gifts. Believe that God gives good gifts. Now, this is where Jesus goes immediately following, encouraging us to ask, seek, and knock. Jesus tells this other story, this other illustration. He says, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? See, the, the idea is that, you know, in, if, if, in this father-son, father-child relationship, 
that exists between us and God, uh, we can draw some parallels from the earthly world. You know, if a father come, if a, if a child comes to their father, he says, and asks for a, an egg, he's not going to give them a scorpion. Now, now, what is a scorpion? A scorpion is something that is dangerous. And in the ancient, you know, in this, in this area of the world, scorpions were oftentimes white, and when they were curled up on themselves, they might look a little like an egg. And, and he's saying, when, you go, when, when a child goes before his father and asks for an egg, the father's not going to play a funny trick on the son and give him a scorpion instead. Why? Because the scorpion would harm the son. The scorpion would harm the daughter. And that's not the intention of the father. He says, if, if, if you go for and ask for a fish, you're not going to get a snake. Same deal. You know, in, 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 this, in this world, there were, there were certain uh, snakes that looked kind of like fish and vice versa. Kid comes and asks for uh, a fish. The father's not going to play a funny trick and, and give him a snake instead. The idea is that the father has the child's best interest in mind as he responds to the request. He says, if that's true in the earthly world where we're fallen and we have all kinds of problems and all kinds of selfish motives, if that's true in our world, how much more so would it be true with the requests that we make before God? He says, as a matter of fact, that when we ask God that he delights in giving us, it says in in verse 13, his Holy Spirit to those who ask. Now, Now, why is that mentioned there? Yeah, I think there's a couple of options why he would say that, that the Holy Spirit is what God delights to give. Um, you know, you imagine when this was written. This was written in the time when Jesus was walking the earth with his disciples. It was written before the cross. And it was written before the time after Jesus ascended into heaven that the Holy Spirit descended to the earth to reside within the hearts of believers at Pentecost. And as believers in Christ, all of us live in this time where the Holy Spirit already resides within our hearts. Right? But this story, Jesus tells back here at a point in time before the Holy Spirit came. It's more of an Old Testament kind of timeline. And in the Old Testament, the best thing that could happen to a person would be for the Spirit of God to come and rest upon them. And so when Jesus says that the Holy Spirit God would give to those who ask, it's saying that the best gift that God could give, He'll give to those who ask Him. God gives good gifts. That's one of the possibilities. Another possibility is not just to look at it kind of as in a historical timeline kind of thing, but to say, what would be the best thing that God could give us in response to our request? It would be himself, right? It would be God's presence with us and God's enabling power with us to help us through whatever we're praying for, whatever difficulty we're struggling with. Um, you know, whether it's the first option or the second, I don't really know. I, I, I kind of think it's a little bit of both. I think that Jesus says that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask to remind us that God gives good gifts that include His presence and His power that are equal to the the task that we're praying for. You see, God gives good gifts in response to our request. But again, we, we we have a difficulty with this. We have trouble with this because we have all prayed for things that have not worked out the way that we want them to. We've all prayed for things that we feel like on the back end, the answer that has come back from God looks and feels maybe more like a scorpion or a snake than a fish or an egg. A child is sick. We pray for recovery and the child dies. 
feels like a scorpion, right? Marriage is teetering on the edge. We pray for restoration. Marriage falls apart. Feels like a scorpion. See, the trouble that we have is not the passage that tells us that God gives us good gifts. The trouble that we have is that many times we feel like our experience is at odds with what the passage says because we would define good in in a certain way. And, And certainly by our experience, you know, there are things that are good and there are things that are bad. But one thing we need to remember, and this is not the catch-all, this is not the be-all. If you've, if you've been praying and something terrible like that has happened in your life, this is not the, the salve that just tells you, oh, it's, it's okay, here's a nice little story to, to think about, and it's going to be all right. I mean, it's painful, and it's difficult, and we wrestle with it. But the, the fact is that, that God is working in our lives to bring about good things. Uh, you know, I, I talk about my son. And when my son comes and knocks on my door, I want to give him good things. That's my intention. I want to get up. I want to, I want to answer the door. And when he's seeking provision, I want to provide it. But, you know, there's times that he might ask for something that I know is not good for him or would not reach a long-term goal. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and he wants to watch TV and, you know, eat candy. Okay? That's like the pinnacle of his world, watching TV and eating candy. That's what he wants the most, Right? And when he comes and asks for that, there's times that I know that what's good for him is not watching TV and eating candy. There's times I know that what's good for him is to do what his mom has asked him to do or to do what I've asked him to do or to go back and get rest so he could be prepared for the next day. You see, as as a father who loves him, I'm not just going to give him everything that he asked for because sometimes he thinks he's asking for a fish when in fact he's asking for a snake. And so being the father who, who loves him and who knows for him, I'm going to care for him in ways that at times are going to be counter to what he would hope. But long term, provide the things that are for his best. And you, you know that that's not easy and that's not good. I mean, right now, my wife and I are, are, are pursuing adoption. We're in the very early stages of, uh, of, of pursuing adoption. And, you know, I I can tell you that as we start this process, we're very specifically praying that this would end with a child coming to be a part of our family. But you know what? If it doesn't end that way, if God answers the prayer a different way, you know what? It's going to be hard for us. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be difficult. But you know what? I'm called by Scripture to trust that the same Father that is eager to open the door when I knock and to answer me when I ask for provision, that He is going to know what's best and He loves me and He cares for me throughout the process. And there's times that He will give me exactly what I'm asking for and there are times when the answer will be, I'll give you what you're asking for, but it'll be at, at the end of this long road. And there's times that things that I ask for are not the right things at all. But the thing that gives me the liberty to ask is that I'm not going to twist his arm into giving, for me, giving to me something that is not good for me. I know that he knows more than I do and that he is good, and so I can ask of anything of him, and how he answers is going to be eggs and fish, not scorpions and snakes. And that very truth ought to encourage us to continue to go before God in prayer.
Get your phone, take it back out. Let's see it. I want you to turn it on. The little chimes around the room, the beeps. I want those to be a reminder to you this week that God can hear you now. God can hear you now. You know, you're going to look at your phone probably more times than you're going to look at Luke 11 this week. And when you look at your phone, I want you to remember, God can hear you now. And the thing that you think, I can't bring this before God because I don't know how he would answer. He might give me what I don't want. He might might not be listening. When you look at that phone, remember, God can hear you. He's, He's encouraging you to ask, seek, and knock. And he's going to give you good gifts. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for today. And we thank you for the time that you gave us to to look at your word. And I thank you for the, the, the power and the truth of Luke chapter 11. Father, I pray that we would be people that would pray. I pray uh, for myself that, and I pray that for, for others, that we would remember routinely and regularly throughout our week, this week, that you can hear us now so we can make requests of you. And Father, you will answer according to your good purposes for our lives. Father, we are thankful that you have given us that privilege. And Father, we pray that we would take advantage of it throughout the week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.